Hello everyone and you're very welcome along to the special edition of the RacingNews365.com Formula 1 podcast. All this week during pre-season testing at the Circuit de Barcelona Catalonia, we're looking back over the day's uh, events and action on the track. It was a steady enough day today. Charles Leclerc metronomic for Ferrari, uh, putting in the fastest time with a 1.19.6. Pierre Gasly second for AlphaTauri. Daniel Ricciardo underlining McLaren's strong start uh, for McLaren in third place but joining me on the show this evening it's Dieter Rankin Editorial Director for RacingNews365.com you're very welcome along Dieter and another busy busy day on the track not a huge amount of drama on the track today I suppose the biggest story of the day was Red Bull encountering trouble not a very assured looking day uh, for the, the drivers champion team um, you, you say that, Thomas, but frankly, I'm surprised that we've had so little trouble. I mean, the regulations are a complete break from what went before. Uh, the cars are different. Um, you know, uh, admittedly, the powertrains are, are similar or the same, but for the rest, it's it's all, you know, reset. And this is called a pre-test. In other words, the real test actually happens in Bahrain in, in two weeks' time. So I'm I'm absolutely astounded that we've had so little so little um, uh, trouble. You know, red flags are few and far between. And fundamentally, I think it's down to the teams having very very good simulation systems, as we discussed in yesterday's podcast. But it is to be expected that there will be some teething problems, some glitches here and there. And yeah, that's basically what's happened. Let's also not forget that when you have a gearbox problem, as Red Bull had today, it doesn't necessarily mean that the gearbox exploded into 10 million pieces. It could be a a loose connection, a wire came loose, or a hydraulic fitting, or whatever. And yeah, that's exactly why one has these things. It's better they happen in Barcelona than actually during the race in Bahrain. Are you surprised by how well uh, Ferrari and McLaren, as as Formula One's two most historic teams, they seem to be adjusting really, really well uh, at this early stage? George Russell has said that he believes uh, Ferrari and McLaren are well ahead at this point. Yeah, but I think we should also view that as a bit of gamesmanship. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Mercedes was saying that absolutely no chance in the championship and then proceeded to walk the opening races. So, you know, there is a bit of gamesmanship. But that said, you know, the Ferrari showing has been very, very impressive. But again, no real surprise given the factors that, for example, last year they uh, stopped cease development or froze development on the 2021 car because they realized that it wasn't going to deliver what they needed. So they said, right, clean break. We stop work on this one. We concentrate on 2022. In addition to that, because they had slumped so far down the championship in 2020, they, of course, benefited from the additional aerodynamic testing allowance. So from that perspective, you know, uh, Ferrari really had two major advantages. They do have very good drivers. They're obviously very well prepared. And um, so it's all come together for them. The trick, though, is to make sure that it comes together in Bahrain for the race and stays together for the 22 or 21 or whatever races thereafter. Of course, I say 22 or 21 because you don't know what the fate of the Russian Grand Prix is. Well, yeah, that's actually the next topic I wanted to bring up because obviously on track today, it was, you know, steady, metronomic, I think is the word that you used earlier uh, to describe it. But looking ahead, 
to um, what's going on with the situation regarding the Russian Grand Prix. There was the news this morning of Russian military forces entering Ukraine. And there's obviously Formula One's reaction to that, Dieter. Team bosses meeting this evening to discuss what may happen. What's the latest on the situation that you've heard? Well, as we speak, I believe there's a Zoom call between the various team bosses and Formula One and obviously the FIA. Uh, at which they will discuss the various options. Um, I'm not expecting any statement or outcome this evening. Um, you know, it's a very serious matter, and the last thing that one would like to do is inflame an already tense situation. Uh, so uh, I believe they'll look at all the options. I may not even take a decision this evening. I mean, who knows the, um, the invasion of Ukraine? Who, who knows how long this will last? We, we don't know. The Russian Grand Prix is in September. You know, we're talking February at the moment. Um, who knows what will happen tomorrow, let alone next week, next month, or in the next six months. So I think they'll, they'll sit back. They'll discuss the various options. They will then define some form of trigger point at which they need to take a decision. And the decision will then be taken accordingly and um, arrangements made to probably replace the race. I mean, there are, there are a host of options. We could go to Turkey. We could go if we look at the calendar structure it's basically russia singapore japan so we come off monza we go to russia we go to singapore we go to japan and uh, so from monza one could go to turkey and then from turkey on to uh, singapore from monza one could also go to malaysia for example and then go down to um to singapore alternately one could actually go to to china you know if the if the pandemic has resolved itself by then it's not inconceivable we could end up in china then go to singapore and then to japan and then across back to to the us so there are various options i have absolutely no doubt we will have 23 races um, whether or not the replacement for Russia, if there is one, is as lucrative as a Russian Grand Prix, that's another question. But I, I have no doubt that they will somehow be able to accommodate a replacement race for Russia. Well, it's Haas who've had to take action straight away, of course, because with their Russian title sponsor and Russian driver, they've, they've withdrawn that Eurocali branding from their car, from their livery for, for Friday's action in Barcelona. Do you see that maybe being a, a long-term call, Dieter? What's going to happen with the Eurocali sponsorship? Again, we don't know what's happening tomorrow, next week, next month, etc. It is obviously very, very concerning. Um, am I surprised about them running the white car tomorrow? No, I'd actually spoken to one of the, the team people this afternoon. And at the time, he said, well, you know, what options does the team have? And I said, well, if I were in your position, I would probably go and run a white car. I said, I don't know what your contractual obligations towards Ural Kali or the Mazepin family are. But I would plead force majeure and, and run a white car. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that I was the sole suggester of this or uh, whatever. But, you know, the thought had crossed my mind this afternoon. And uh, so it wasn't a real surprise when I saw the, um, the statement come through. Well, Sebastian Vettel has already come forward and said he will absolutely not be going to Sochi. He said his decision has been made. Um, were you surprised by the stance, that the hard stance that Vettel has taken at this point, considering it seems to be a personal stance, Dieter, and not that of Aston Martin? 
Of course, it's a personal one. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, Sebastian is known for his strong opinions. Uh, he's entitled to them, of course. Um, you know, I'd, I'd admire him on the one hand if he if he stuck to it. On the other hand, I would um, I sort of wonder about his standing within the team. Possibly they support him on it. Possibly they don't. Uh, and equally, uh, you know, there, there are always two sides to to every story, and sometimes even three. You know, there's the side A, side B, and in the middle you've got the truth. So we really don't know. It's it's very premature to speculate on on what will happen. People have been known to take strong stances. They've then backed off for whatever reason. Um, they may have dialed back a bit. They may have been persuaded. Uh, but as I say, Sebastian is known for his very, very strong opinions. And those opinions have, have got him a lot of support on social media today. Um, do you think any other, other drivers might follow suit? Um, well, I think that if, if we have a look at some of the the more outspoken drivers, particularly when it comes to, to human rights, for example, who knows, possibly Lewis will, will make a comment. Um, it, it's, again, I, I really don't like second-guessing people, particularly in situations like this. It's very, very difficult. Well, I suppose the other major topic of today, Dieter, was Max Verstappen's comments in the press conference. Uh, Michael Massey, the FIA, uh, came up for discussion in that conference and Verstappen didn't really hold back, did he? He was saying Michael Massey was thrown under the bus by the FIA after Abu Dhabi. Strong, strong words from, from Max Dieter. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and I think one needs to see that against the background of Abu Dhabi. The, you know, the controversy will continue. At the moment, the way that I, I read it is that the FIA was trying to, to find a compromise that they thought would suit everybody. And the problem with compromises is that invariably they leave everybody unhappy to some degree. At least if you take a hard and fast stance, then at least you only make half the people unhappy. But a compromise generally uh, does lead to to overall unhappiness. And I think this is just another example of that. Uh, Max has obviously got his opinions because um, he benefited from Michael Massey's uh, actions on the day. Uh, And Lewis has got the opposite opinion. And again, as I said earlier on, you've got side A, you've got side B. Max is fully entitled to that. And frankly, I do sympathize with with Michael. I do believe that uh, he was rather harshly dealt with. Uh, so, um, yes, but on the flip side, I can see why, why Lewis and Mercedes were, weren't particularly impressed with what happened. So, yeah, as I said, there are always two sides to every story, at least two sides. So just like that, Dieter, tomorrow marks the uh, final day of the pre-season test and I uh, presume a very, very busy day ahead for you again. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I've got some some exclusive interviews lined up, which we'll be bringing our readers in due course as we sort of build up to the next test session in Bahrain. And uh, for the rest, it will be fascinating to see who does what tomorrow, because I think we'll start seeing some some hot runs uh, from about two o'clock in the afternoon. And that will really show who's who's got it together and who hasn't yet. Dieter Rankin, Editorial Director of the Race News 365 Group. Thank you very much, as usual, for joining me. You can follow Dieter on Twitter at Racing Lines. That's it for uh, today's podcast. We'll be back after tomorrow's track action from the Circuit to Barcelona, Catalonia.